Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Fulton, and welcome back to the Talking Blarney podcast, where we wade through the Blarney to tell you about the real Ireland. My name is Stuart McNamara, and I'm not here with my usual co-host, unfortunately. He has been very busy with work this week, and he just doesn't have the time today to be with us, which is really unfortunate, and we hope to hear from him again next week as usual, where we will continue on their usual with what we were meant to be doing today, which is the movie Handsome Devil. So I thought I'd start off this podcast by talking a little bit about the news here in Ireland, because we've had an interesting week, uh, a sad week in a lot of ways. It's been quite troubling in this country. First off, in terms of uh, COVID, we've had a very high number of cases in the last few weeks. Uh, We went down from level five, which is our highest lockdown, to level three there in December to kind of give people a chance to have a Christmas uh, it seems that that was a little premature. At the time, we had a small number of cases in the country, but it has shot up absolutely exponentially in recent weeks, which is unfortunate. It's it's sad to see. Uh, we were doing quite well for a lot of the time, and then to jump up to such a, a high level is a weird thing to see. Uh, a lot of people are worried about it, and we hope everyone gets better and gets the vaccine as soon as possible. We've gone up, I think, the latest or in the 3000s last week, it was... 6,000 for a couple of days so it's it's been really bad and I think we've been labelled the worst country in the world there during the week for COVID cases so it's uh, it's hard to see I mean the the HSE which is our health service executive similar to the NHS in in England just been really stressed with all of it especially you know trying to keep nurses and doctors there who don't have it uh, to keep them in work, uh, calling them in, doing long hours and stuff like that. It's hard to see and it's worrying for a lot of people, but uh, we're trying to get through it as best we can. The other big piece of news that came out of Ireland this week is a large report that they did on the mother and baby homes, which is a topic that myself and Rob will one day have to cover on this podcast. It's a dark period in Irish history where um, pregnant mothers or mothers with young children who were unmarried uh, were taken into these homes, large buildings uh, run by the the Catholic Church, and uh, they were held there. They kind of worked there, and um, a lot of the time the children were put up for adoption without the permission or consent of the mother. It's uh, another very dark period of Irish history that, especially hearing the from the report, which has been very controversial because of the... <sighs> Let's just say it was lackluster. It it didn't. It really didn't capture what a lot of people know happened there. It seemed to be a bit of a whitewash of the the truth. There were a lot of interviews during the week with uh, with people who had actually lived in those places, and uh, it's heartbreaking to see. And I know Rob would agree with me on that. Just just hearing the the harrowing stories of these these poor women and the the children that they may never get to see because of the law regarding personal data and things like that. It's very hard for these mothers who may never have actually gotten a chance beyond shortly after the birth to to see their children. 
who were then put up for adoption and taken away from them, never to be seen again. And the government weren't the best at delivering the news or taking their share of the blame. They blamed society as a whole for what happened. It's a it's a rough time, especially in the news, because it's when you're listening to both uh, the the terror that is COVID and and this this awful time in Ireland. It's um something you don't want to have to listen to every day, but obviously it, it's it's the hot topic at the minute. And uh, there's not much else to talk about with it. So for Uniquely Irish this week, I want to talk a little bit about Irish folklore. Because I don't have Rob, we won't be doing uh, the usual what we were meant to do this week, which is Handsome Devil. So I'm going to actually read to you uh, the story of the Children of Lear, which is a lovely Irish folk story that is well-loved. I know I was read, read it as a child. Uh, we did it in school when we were in, you know, the junior classes, five and six and that. And it's 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 a sad story, but it's a sweet one at the same time in a lot of respects. But uh, the tradition of storytelling in Ireland goes back a very, very long way because obviously we're Celts originally. And uh, historians for a time believed that the Celts were illiterate because they didn't write things down. But that's incorrect because what happened was that the, the Celts believed in the oral tradition. They they didn't want things written down, so they didn't do it. They had their own writing style. They had ohm, uh, which is lines carved into a, a rock or sometimes a, a, a piece of wood, which is how they wrote things. But they they wanted to make sure that the things that were known were were in someone's head, really. So they, they spoke it all and they learned it that way. And these the, the people who learned, you know, likes of Druids and that in, in Celtic times were like, they, they'd know hundreds of years of history that had just been told to them by someone else. So they were really, really intelligent people, in no way illiterate. But that's where we get all of these uh, folk stories from from back then. We still have the Shanachies who continue that tradition today by hearing stories from the older generations and passing them on. And it's just, it's been a part of Irish tradition for as long as we've been Irish, really. And they all have a lot of common themes. They're very similar to the likes of uh, grim fairy tales, you know, you have like Cinderella, uh, Sleeping Beauty, things like that, and of course they're fables. They're they're stories that are there to to warn children, especially in Ireland, where for the longest time people did believe in fairies. Um, you know, banshees, leprechauns, things like that were believed in this country, and so we we needed fables and parables to to teach the children what to do and what not to do, <laughs> as is always the case. Now the Irish uh, folk stories were told often uh, to drill them into people's heads. A lot of the times they'd be played at like festivals, maybe if they were having a, a fireside for the likes of uh, Samhain and that, they, they'd sit down, they might have uh, an accompanying musical piece to play with them to kind of uh, give the atmosphere and just kind of a, a bit of enjoyment uh, in the celebratory times. But a lot of them had, you know, interwoven bits of, of knowledge to them that, you know, folk knowledge and things like that that, that people wanted to, to carry on. But they had a lot of uh, common elements. Obviously, uh, they were about fairies, uh, the Aeshi or the Tuatadanan, or like the, the godlike race in Ireland who were kind of, you know, Tiernanog that you've probably heard of before. We'll definitely get onto that at some point in the podcast. You know, they were pretty much elves, the Tuatadanan. They they ruled Ireland for quite some time. You know, there were stories like um, the the heroic sagas that you have, Cúchulainn and Fionn McCool, things like that, that that were common elements of, of Irish stories. There are lots of stories of those characters. But, of course, 
with most of our stories, there's a bit of trouble to them because as time went on, they were kind of forced to change in a lot of ways. Uh, the first big one was the uh, when Christianity came to Ireland, a lot of the stories similar to what happened in Norse mythology, where they were first written down by, by Christian monks. So the, the monks kind of added in their own uh, Christian elements to the stories, which changed them a little bit. So on occasion, we don't really know the, the original ending to the story. We just know the, the Christianized version of it, which is unfortunate. I mean, you know, they're still lovely stories, but they, they, uh, the Christians do love to, to tack on their own ending to things. In fact, one of the things that really highlights the muddying of the waters when it comes to Irish folklore and just a lot of Irish history in general is uh, the likes of the, the early saints in Irish history. Some people believe that they were actually Irish druids from the from Celtic times, really that were co-opted into the Christian narrative of Ireland later on in time. So the likes of uh, St. Patrick, or well, maybe not him, but St. Bridget and that, or were changed to become saints rather than their original Celtic origins and their druidic nature that they had initially. The other trouble we have, of course, is uh, the British Empire when they came over here. Things like the Irish language, as we've said before, and folk stories were banned in Ireland. So to keep these going, it was like told in secret. Uh, you know, they they weren't allowed to speak about them openly. So it really was hard to keep them going and make sure that someone knew about them throughout the the history of Ireland, which is another unfortunate part of our past that can never really escape from. But as I said, it was all to do with uh, warnings. You know, the the dangers of of magic staying away from fairy forts and the likes of hawthorn trees. I know one story that made international headlines uh, a while back was from a Shanachie, and I think we've mentioned it before, that uh, that stopped a motorway being built where it was because there was a hawthorn tree in the way, and uh, those are believed to be the homes of the fairies, and so he did not want that to be dug up because it would have been terrible luck, and the fairies would have seeked their revenge for having it destroyed and so there was actually a big petition and they were able to, to change the government's mind. And at a huge cost, they were able to move the tree out of the way. So things like that that a lot of people would consider silly, but are still part of Irish folkloric traditions. And uh, it's good to see that people are still fighting to keep them around, even to this day. So that'll just about do it for Uniquely Irish for today. So as I mentioned, I will actually now read out for you one of the, the old Irish folk stories. And it's going to be The Children of Lear. A very old story. It's believed to be about from the, the 14th century even. And you'll kind of see as I read through it the, the similarities it has with the likes of the grim fairy tales. Um, It's a little bit like Swan Lake. So when the two of Annan ruled over Ireland, there once arose a conflict over who the next high king would be. Two chieftains emerged as the strongest candidates, Lear of Derivara and Bove Darag of Munster. They were evenly matched in almost all ways, but when it came to choose between them, one thing swayed the people to Bo Darag's side. Bove Darag was married to a woman who was his equal, and Lear was alone. So Bove Darag was made king, and Lear returned home empty-handed and angry. Bove Darag was worried that Lear might be angry enough at his defeat to start trouble or even rise up against him. So to make peace between them, he invited Lear to visit. After feasting for three days and three nights, he asked Lear... I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. 
post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Which of his three beautiful daughters he liked best? Lyra replied that though they were all fine women, he loved Bove Darig's daughter, Ave, the best. Now, this had, of course, been Bove Darig's plan all along to make Lyra part of his family through marriage so that the other man would be bound to him by ties of love and friendship. Ave and Lyra married and returned to his home where they were very happy together. Their joy only increased when Ave had a child, a daughter named Finula, and again they were delighted when Eve bore a son named Aid. When Eve became pregnant a third time, they eagerly awaited the new addition to their family, twin boys named Con and Fiacra. But the strain of giving birth to twins was too much, and shortly after they were born, Ave died. Lyr was distraught. He missed his wife terribly, but he consoled himself with his children, delighted in them, keeping them close by him all day, and all of them sleeping together in one big bed by night. His favourite thing was to hear the children singing, their sweet voices twinning in beautiful harmonies. Bove Darek was sorely grieved when he heard of his daughter's death, and he asked his other two daughters if one of them would be willing to go to Lear and be his new wife and help to take care of the children. Aoife agreed to the match. She married Lear and was well pleased with the day, and she set herself to be a mother to her sister's children, but Aoife found that there was no room for her in that house. Lear barely paid attention to her. All his focus was on his children, who did not need or want a mother, when their father already doted over them. Shut out of his happy family, Aoife began to grow bitter. She thought long and hard about her situation and saw no way out for her but one. One day, she went to Lear and asked him if she could take the children to visit her father, Bove Darig. Lear was very reluctant to let the children leave his side. They had never been apart from him since the day they each were born, but Aoife had the children so excited to go and see their grandfather that they began to beg him to let them go, and at last he relented. Aoife set out with the four children, and on the way she stopped by Lake Daravarig, not far from the father's castle. There she got down from her chariot and told the children to go swimming. It was a hot day, so the boys ran straight into the water, throwing off their clothes. But Fanula paused, full of misgivings. She asked her stepmother, was she going to come with them? But Aoife did not reply. When the four children were in the water, Eva pulled out a wand and transformed the children into swans. At the last minute, seeing the look in Fanula's eyes, she amended her curse, leaving the children their human voices and their human reason. Transformed, the children wept. They begged their stepmother to undo the curse, but Aoife was unable to change them back, so powerful was the spell she had created. Instead, she put an ending to it. She told the children they would have to spend 300 years on that very lake, 300 years on the stormy sea of Moyle between Ireland and Scotland, and 300 years on another lake, and would regain their human forms when a king's son from the north married a king's daughter from the south. Then Aoife got back into her chariot and went to visit her father. She spent a month in Bove Darig's house and told him the children were still with their father. When the time came for her to return, she told Lear that the children had decided to stay with their grandfather, but her deception could not go unnoticed forever. 
At length, Lear set out to fetch his children back, and both he and Bovdarig were shocked when each realized the other did not have the children. Both men raced back to Lear's castle to confront Aoife, but on the way they heard the sound of children's voices coming from the lake. Lear searched high and low for his children along the lake's shore, but he could not find them. The only living things on the lake were four beautiful swans, but then the swans swam over to him and he heard his children's voices speaking out of the birds' beaks. They told him what their stepmother had done to them. In retaliation for her crime, Bovdarig transformed Aoife into a demon of the air, and she, she went shrieking off into the sky to be buffeted and blown about. And when the wind blows hard, sometimes you can hear her shrieking still. Lear did everything he could to ease the children's transformation. He brought his whole household to the lake shore, and he held feasts and games and entertainments all day long for his children, so that they could almost forget that they were swans. At night, they would swim out over the lake and sing together for their father's people on the shore. Three hundred years passed quickly. Then the day came when the four children were compelled to fly away. They took their leave of their father and his people, promising to come back and find them after the three hundred years on the Sea of Moyle were passed, and then they took to the air. The Sea of Moyle was a vicious, stormy place, and the four swans were buffeted by the high waves and shivered in the cold winds. Fenula found a jagged rock for them to perch on, and they agreed that if they were ever separated by the rough waves and weather, they would look for each other there. The first time a storm blew in, they were scattered from each other. Fenula came first to the rock and waited long for her brothers. One by one, bedraggled and exhausted, they made their weary way to the meeting place. Fenula placed her brother, Aid, beneath the feathers of her warm breast, and took Con and Fiacra each under one wing, and she sang to them to keep their spirits up. Every time a storm came, the swans were scattered, and Fenula held her brothers in its aftermath. In summer, the sea was stormy and rough, but in the winter, conditions were even worse. The icy water was so cold, it froze their feathers and broke them away, leaving their raw skin exposed to the sting of the salt. Three hundred years passed slowly. At last, the day came when the swans could fly back to Ireland, to go to the last of the lakes. They detoured on their way, flying over Loch Derivara, hoping to call out to their father. But they flew over Tumblestone, with grass growing through the cracks, and saw no sign of their father or his people. The time of the Tua de Danon had passed while they were gone, and their father was gone. Sadly, they settled on the lake, and though they grieved that they would never see their father or their people again, they were relieved to be on so gentle a lake after enduring such hardship on the Sea of Moyle. The years passed. A long time later, a monk named Malachi came to live on an island in the middle of the lake and began to build a monastery there. He saw the four beautiful swans swimming stately by, but he was shocked when he heard them sing and speak in human voices. Malachi spoke to the swans, and they told him their sad story. He told them in turn of his God, stories of the Bible and Jesus Christ. Fenula and her brothers were very interested in the new faith, and asked if they could convert, but Malachi explained that as they were swans they could not. He did, however, continue to teach them the new faith, and the five of them had many spirited conversations. The swans would sing for Malachi in the evenings, glorious melodies and sad songs of loss for their old life. One day, messengers came to the lake from the king's son of Munster. They told Malachi that their master was going to get married that very day to the king's daughter of Ulster, and for a wedding gift, the bride had asked for four swans from her betrothed. They had heard that the swans of this lake were magical and sang, and they had come to bring the swans away with them to give to the bride as a gift. No sooner had they caught the four swans and pulled them from the lake, however, than the feathers melted off their bodies, and they turned back into their human forms. 
The wedding had fulfilled the final condition of Aoife's curse, and they were restored. But when they looked at each other, they could see that they were not the bright children of Lear any longer. Nine hundred years old, each of them was, wizened, white-haired, and ancient. Knowing that they would not live long now that the magic was not sustaining them, Fenula begged Malachi to baptize them all so that they might go together to heaven. He did this, and with her last breath, Fenula told him her last wish, that her brother Aid be buried at her breast, Con under her right arm, and Fiacra under her left, the way that she had held them when they were swans. Well, that's the children of Lear anyway, so you can kind of see what I was saying before, that it has a lot of the hallmarks of what you might call a grim fairy tale, you know, it has the evil stepmother turning the children into swans, and the kind of, the, the curse of it, where they had to spend 900 years as swans until something as happy as a wedding lifted the curse. You can also notice the uh, the addition there at the end of the, the religious elements that probably weren't uh, present in its original version, but uh, I, <laughs> I don't think there's any way for us to find what that would have been before Catholicism ha had came along and uh, added itself in there at the end. But it's a sweet story in a way, uh, you know, it's family kind of surviving together in, in terrible, harsh conditions, and uh, they do a good job of it, I suppose, uh, and then you get the unfortunate ending where they turn out that they haven't escaped living the 900 years and come back as old people who are just about to die they've lived 900 years but you know it, it does have a lot of, of the little snippets that that make up an irish folk story with the two of the Danon. so they're all kind of the, the fairy folk and uh you, you hear how they move on by the time the the children come back from the sea of moyle but it's an important story to the Irish people. Uh, I know there are quite a number of statues around Ireland of the, the four uh, swans, um, especially in Dublin. There's one that's meant to represent like the, the 900 years of oppression we, we felt under the United Kingdom, the British Empire. And uh, so it's like, you know, we've gotten out of that and we're, we're back in the world as ourselves again. Thankfully, we're not turning old the way they were in the story. But it's it's really important for that, and there's a lot in the story that people take away from it, especially since Loch Darivara, or Lake Darivara is a real place in Ireland. And uh, I think in the closest town, Castle Pollard in Westmeath, there's actually a statue depicting the, the four swans, and it does have the famous story there with it. So you could actually visit the place where the swans spent a lot of their time. But I think that'll just about do it for this episode. That's uh, been extremely one-sided and quiet without Rob around. So if you've enjoyed it, uh, give us a, a follow and uh, a rating on whatever podcast app you're using. Uh, please tell a friend. Uh, we'd love to hear some of your feedback as well if you have any uh, you can email us at talkingblarneypod at gmail.com or on Twitter we are at blarneypod. So please get in touch with us there. If you have any ideas for new episodes, if there's a movie that caught your eye or anything you want us to cover in the likes of Uniquely Irish, we can do that as well. And of course next week we should hopefully have Rob back and uh, we will be doing the normal, we will be doing what we were meant to do this week, which is the movie Handsome Devil. So slán and we'll see you next week. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.